thank you so much, Lindsay, for that uh, kind introduction. And I want to, uh, to thank you for uh, the privilege of serving our Lord in this way and uh, serving you in this way as well. We have a number of students besides uh, Lindsay who are connected with our, our church that are a part of this student body. And uh, it's, uh, it's awesome to be able to, to be here. And um, I'm a little bit nervous, I confess, this morning when I saw this uh, candle being lit behind me. I don't have a good history with candles. Uh, the last time I preached with a candle anywhere near me, I had my Bible and we were doing one of those old-fashioned church services. I don't know if you've ever done them in your church where you no lights, all the old lamps are around. They had this candle right here on the pulpit for me to preach by. And, and I can get kind of expressive sometimes. I had my Bible held right over that candle. I was given the point and started going up in flames in the middle of my sermon. So uh, hopefully nothing like that will, uh, will happen this morning. I want to give a shout out as well to Jason Parker. I don't know if he's, uh, if he's here this morning or not, but I, uh, I arrived from Middleton and realizing that I only had uh, my Nike sneakers with me and uh, nothing to use for this morning. So I, I quickly uh, emailed uh, Jason and Nathan, hope, hoping that one of them had the same size feet. So, so these are Jason's shoes. And uh, Jason is a very enthusiastic guy. I'm not feeling the best this morning, so I'm hoping his enthusiasm is going to come up through these shoes this morning. I want to pray and uh, get into God's Word this morning. God, we look forward to what you have uh, to share with us this morning through your Word. We trust in the authority of your Word. We trust in the effectiveness of your Word. We pray, God, that as your Word goes out this morning that it would be planted deep within our hearts and bear good fruit. God, I know that I'm only your vessel and that, Father, uh, I pray for the empowering of your Holy Spirit to do what you have asked of me this morning. And uh, Lord, I commit these things into your hands in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want us to look this morning at... Uh, uh, a couple of optical illusions that uh, maybe some of you are familiar with, if I could have uh, the first one up on the screen. Some of you are probably familiar with that uh, picture. Uh, some of you, as you look at it, will see one of two figures, either a, a haggard woman with a wart on her nose, or others of you, as you look at it, will see a much younger, uh, more striking woman who's looking away from us. What we see in that picture really depends upon the perspective that we look at that picture from because perspective matters. How about this one, the next one, if we could uh, have that up there. You'll see in, uh, in picture B that the, uh, the lines in each of those pictures seem to be the same length. Well, if you look at picture A, uh, one line seems to be longer than the others. Now, I promise you that I checked this out beforehand, but in picture A, both lines are exactly the same length. Because again, perspective matters in the way that we look at those two pictures. Maybe you've heard of the example before of two people who are standing on opposite sides of the road witnessing a car accident and one person says it happens one way and the other person says it happens another way because they saw the accident from different perspectives because perspective matters. Perspective matters when it comes to the way in which we see ourselves as well, the way in which we see 
other people. What we see depends on whose eyes we see ourselves and others through. For some of us, it is our culture that are the eyes that we see ourselves primarily through and that shape our perception of ourselves. And for others of us this morning, maybe our perception of ourselves, the way we see ourselves is, is shaped largely by past failures, sins, or wrong roads. For others of us, maybe, maybe we may still be, be walking around deeply wounded by hurtful comments that have been made about us by others or hurtful actions that have been done to us by others. And these things still strongly influence the way that we see ourselves today. Perspective matters. And my goal through this message this morning is that we would undergo a shift in perspective in the way that we see ourselves. Your focus for chapel this month is soteriology, the, the doctrine of salvation. And, and one of the things that salvation through Jesus Christ brings into our lives is a radically altered and transformed self. In, in other words, you and I ain't the people that we once were. The, the Bible speaks of this transformation in this way. If anyone is in Christ, there's a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. Or you may be familiar with this one. You also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Finally, the apostle Peter writes, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. See, now that salvation has come into my life through faith in Jesus, I ain't the man that I used to be. And once salvation has come into your life, you ain't the man or the woman that you used to be either. In Christ, a radical transformation has taken place within us. God has given us a new identity. God has given us a new identity. And because of that new identity, God begins to look at us in a new way. And what I hope that we can begin to capture this morning is that instead of the primary perspective from which we see ourselves, whether that's through our culture or our past failures or the woundedness that we carry around within us, that this morning we might begin to see ourselves from God's perspective. You see, God sees your life through different eyes now that you are in him. And we need to start seeing ourselves and others differently that way as well. So I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles, if you have them, to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 to 6. That's going to be our focus for this morning. And this, this passage is part of the Apostle Paul's larger introduction to his letter to the church in Ephesus. And here in this section, Paul reminds us of two core components of our new identity now that we are in Christ. Ephesians 1, verses 1 to 6. And first of all, Paul wants us to understand that I ain't the man that I once was, and you ain't the man or the woman that you once were. According to Paul... Because first of all, now that I am in Christ, 
I am holy. This is what we read in verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you, you caught how it is that Paul refers to these Christians in Ephesus. He calls them God's holy people. Some other translations use the word saint to translate the Greek word that's used here. But saint simply means a holy person or someone set apart by God for honorable use. And if we read through all of Paul's letters in the New Testament, we would discover that the term saints or holy people is Paul's favored way of addressing the Christians that he writes to. In Philippians 1.1, Paul says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi. And in his introduction to Romans, Paul writes to all in Rome who are loved by God, who are called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and even... If you can believe this, even in his introduction to 1 Corinthians, as he writes to that church filled with problems, filled with conflict, filled with sin, we read to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. So according to the scriptures this morning, one very important truth about our identity now that we are in Christ is that we're holy. Can you say that with me this morning? I am holy. That's who you are. And without distinction over and over again, Paul calls those who have come to faith in Jesus God's holy people. You know, often as Christians, we think of holy, of being holy in terms of a future possibility. But Paul is clear that holiness for the Christian is not a future event, but a present reality. In God's eyes this morning, you are a saint. You are holy. Look at verses 3 to 4 of Ephesians 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Verse 3 tells us that God's love and mercy and grace is so great for us that he has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then in verse 4, one of these many blessings is revealed to us long before we were even born, in fact, long before the world was even created, God had us on his mind. And he determined that those who would come to him through faith in Christ, that he would see them through the lens of them being holy. Now, this should give us great courage and great hope this morning that when God looks at your life and when God looks at my life as a follower of Jesus, what he chooses to see is not all the sin and not all the garbage from my past and your past, but he, he sees you and he sees me through the lens of holiness. But how is that possible? How is it possible for that to be true about you and I this morning? I mean, I know myself, and 
you know yourself, and holy may not be the, the first word that comes to mind when we think about ourselves today. You know, the things we sometimes think, the things we sometimes say, the things we sometimes do, and yet holy is part of our identity now that we are a follower of Jesus. So how can this be true about us? Well, to answer that question, we need to make a distinction this morning between God's holiness and our holiness. Look with me just for a moment at Revelation 15, verse 4. And this verse is part of a song that's sung in the last days by those coming out of the time of tribulation. And we read these words in Revelation 15, 4. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Now notice what's said about God here in this verse. For you alone are holy, God. So we need to understand that holiness is an inherent quality of God and of God alone. Holiness is part of who God is in his very nature. And therefore, true holiness does belong to God alone and to no one or no thing else. But here's the question. What happens when God, through his Holy Spirit, this holy God, comes to live in those who have come to faith in Jesus? Well, we know from the rest of Scripture that wherever God dwells, he's holy. Wherever God dwells becomes holy. Remember when Moses encounters the burning bush and God speaks to Moses from the bush and God tells Moses to take off his sandals because he's standing on what? Holy ground. God was there. And in the midst of that bush and where God is becomes holy. Or why was it that the inner part of the temple was known as the holy of holies? Because that is where the presence of God dwelled among his people. And wherever God is, becomes holy. Now listen to this. This is from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 3.16. And this is what he writes. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst. And then in the book of Ephesians, in the next chapter, chapter 2, Paul writes, in him, in Christ, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. He's speaking of the church here. And in, in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Wherever God dwells, becomes holy. And we are God's temple, Paul says, and God dwells in us. And therefore, because of that, we are holy. Not because of who we are, not because of anything we've done, but because our holy God lives within us. Our holiness is an acquired holiness. It comes from outside of us. It's no less a part of who we are but it's the lens through which God chooses to see us today. But Paul isn't done with these Ephesian Christians and seeking to reorient their minds and hearts towards the true nature of our, their identity in Christ. 
See, I ain't the man that I once was because, according to Paul, secondly, now that I am in Christ, I am God's adopted child. Look at verses 5 and 6 of Ephesians 1. Paul writes, In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one that he loves. Now I recognize that Paul's entire introduction to Ephesians, these two verses included, have featured highly in the centuries-old and still ongoing theological tug-of-war between Calvinism and Arminianism, between those who understand the means of obtaining salvation to be mainly attributable to God's sovereign choosing or to God's uh, humanity's God-enabled free will. But I haven't brought these verses this morning that we might wade into that debate because the truth is that no matter what the mechanisms we believe are active in moving a person from a place of non-faith to a place of faith, this identity change that we're talking about this morning that occurs for those who are in Christ is the same. It's still a reality. And once we've embraced the salvation that God offers to us in Christ, we become God's holy people, Paul says, but he also reminds us here in verse 5 and 6 that something else becomes true about us. And that is that we are adopted as God's child. In love, Paul writes, God called you to himself that in Christ he might adopt you as his child in accordance with his pleasure and will. Do you know that it gives God pleasure? That it brings God joy? For him to receive you into his family and to call you his child. Because you are God's child, he takes great joy and delight in you. Now to me, that's just crazy. That God, the God of all of the universe, God our creator, the righteous judge of all the earth, the holy one who knows everything about me, might adopt me. And accept me into his family. And then actually take delight and joy in calling me his child. But it's even crazier when I consider the astronomical lengths that he went through to make that possible. In the church that I serve in, there are quite a few families who have over the years adopted children. And I've talked with some of these families about the process of adoption. And as I've talked with them, I've heard about the great lengths that many of them went through in order to adopt these children into their family. The, the boatload of paperwork, the interviews, the years of waiting, the anticipation, the heartbreak as a potential adoption falls through and the pure, overwhelming joy as they finally hold that newborn or that baby in their hands. They're long awaited child has finally come. The adoption process is not for the faint of heart, but there's something special. There's something unique about adoption to be able to say to a child, you are, are special to daddy and to mommy because we chose you. We knew who you were and we still invited you to be a part of our family. We went to great lengths to get you so that you could sit at our family table. 
And as I think about the great lengths that many families go through to adopt a child, I'm reminded of the exponentially greater lengths that God went through to adopt me and to adopt you into his family. That he sent his precious only son into this world to die for us so that we might have the opportunity to be adopted as one of his children. How deep the father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. The words of that song say it all is God's adopted child. God went to great lengths that, that that might be true for you. And because you are his child, God takes great pleasure in you. Maybe that's not something you're used to today. Maybe you're not used to having parents who take great delight in pleasure in you. But you, precious child, are wanted by God. You may not think all that highly of yourself today, but stand up this morning because you are a child of the king. He went to great lengths to adopt you, and you are his joy and his delight. Well, I want to move on to some practical implications that stem from this new identity in Christ that we've been talking about this morning. Because if, if in God's eyes I ain't the man that I once was, but instead I am holy because through faith in Jesus, God's spirit has come to reside in me. And if God in his gracious mercy has flung wide open the doors of his home to me and invited me to come in and to sit at his table as one of the family, as his adopted child, if these things are the true reality of who I now am in Christ, then it makes sense to me that the greatest part of my focus, the greatest part of my energy, the greatest part of my effort should now be on seeking to live in keeping with my true nature. My wife, Lisa, keeps some laying hens. And, and, and we've had laying hens now for, for probably the last four or five years. And over that time, there's some things that we've come to expect from our laying hens. For example, we've come to expect that the eggs that they lay are going to be of a certain size and a certain shape. If my wife's hands started laying square eggs, then we'd begin to think that something was drastically wrong. Or if they started laying eggs the size of ostrich eggs, well, we would be really surprised. Neither of these things would be in keeping with their nature as laying hands. Or, or what if I went out to the hen house one day and instead of hearing the clucking and squawking that I'm used to when I, when I go out there, when I walked in the door, one of the chickens started barking at me and, and, and kept growling at me. And, and its feathers on its neck started standing up on end and it got me over in the corner. <laughs> We'd think that something strange is going on in the hen house because these chickens aren't acting according to their nature. See, we expect a chicken to act like a chicken because it's in its nature to do so. And Paul insists here in this passage this morning that part of our true nature, now that we are in Christ, is that we are God's holy children. That means that when we pursue sin, 
That means when we give in to temptation, when we indulge sin, that we are living in a way that's contrary to who we really are. We're just chickens barking like dogs or lions quacking like ducks or dogs meowing like cats. It just doesn't fit. It doesn't make sense. See, now that we know who we are as God's holy children, we're set free to, from who we used to be to pursue who we really are and to begin to live in step with who we really are. So when Paul calls us God's holy people and God's adopted children, not only is he revealing to us our true identity, but he's spurring us on to strive to live our lives as we're empowered by God's spirit to match who it is that we really are. See, God through his spirit lives within us He's given us all that we need to live the life that we are called to in Christ. Many of you are familiar with famous passage in Galatians 5. We're given a list of the kind of holy life that God's spirit within us seeks to birth or produce within us and to flow from us as our true nature as God's holy children. We read about the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Paul, who wrote this, goes on to say, those who belong to Christ Jesus has crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So Paul's saying here that for us as a follower of Jesus, as God's holy children, to choose sin over righteousness, over the type of life God through his spirit seeks to birth in us, is to live in violation of who we truly are. That part of us was crucified with Christ. That part of us was put to death. That, that part of us lost the battle and no longer controls us or is our master. Now the Spirit of God lives within us. He makes us holy. And so let us live in step with who we really are. That's, that's our motivation for holy living. That's our motivation for pursuing righteousness in Christ as God's child. It's who we really are. And to do otherwise would be to live a lie. Now I don't know about you, but if I'm honest, sometimes... I find myself living a lie. That sometimes I do betray my new identity in Christ. This truth about myself that, that I am holy and that I am God's child, that, that, that I have a place at God's family table doesn't always translate into the way I speak or act or think. That sometimes I allow that old nature that was crucified with Christ, way more latitude and way more freedom than it deserves. And I'd expect this morning in a group of this size that I'm not alone in that. That maybe as you've considered this message this morning, as you think about your new identity in Christ, that you ain't the person that you once was, but you sure live like it sometimes. The Bible says that our response to this realization about ourselves is confession and repentance. 
that we might leave here this morning with a fresh sense of who we really are, that we might leave this morning with a renewed confidence that God has given us all that we need to live in keeping with who we really are, and that we might leave this morning with a right relationship with him. And so if God has been speaking to your heart this morning, and there are things that you need to confess, things that you need to repent of as you evaluate your own life this morning. I want to invite you to come uh, to the altar. You may wish just to have some time to pray by yourself silently. And I know that there'll be folks that if you need prayer, that you'd like to pray with someone, they'll be here to, to do that with you. Well, let us pray as we worship the Lord together and we consider his word. God, we thank you for what you have had to say to us this morning. We thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for the power of that, that transforming work that you do within us in Christ Jesus. We thank you, God, that through faith in him that we have a seat at your family table. We thank you that in Christ that you see us as your holy children. God, help us today. Help us as we leave this place to live in keeping with who we really are. Show us those places in our lives where, where that is not true about us, that we might, in confession and repentance, bring those things before you, God, knowing that you are faithful and just to forgive us of all sin and to cleanse us from unrighteousness, O oh, Father. We thank you for the great gift that you have given us in Christ. We thank you, Father, and we pray that we would embrace our new identity in him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.